We sit opposite one another, Cat and I, two soldiers in shabby coats, cooking a goose in the middle of the night. We don't talk much, but I believe we have a more complete communion with one another than even lovers have. We are two men, two minute sparks of life. Outside is the night and the circle of death. We sit on the edge of it, crouching in danger. The grease drips from our hands. In our hearts, we are close to one another. And the hour is like the room, flecked over with the lights and shadows of our feelings cast by a quiet fire. What does he know of me or I of him? Formerly, we should not have had a single thought in common. Now, we sit with a goose between us and feel in unison, are so intimate that we do not even speak. That was another reading from All Quiet on the Western Front here on Literary Guys. I'm Dr. Gordon McCallan. And I'm author Zachary Kelly, and I loved your choice of quote there. I just, I got a good feeling about Cat. I think, I think that kid's going to make it through the war. Yeah, they definitely set it up that way. He's actually, I think, my favorite character of... Cat. Yeah, like, here is somebody who, he's portrayed as, if you need something, he'll go get it. Like, you don't know how, you don't ask why, it just shows up. He's just finding food everywhere while everyone's starving. And without him, this would be somehow an even bleaker story. Mm -hmm. But it's not. It's all of these little rays of hope. It reminds me almost of, I don't know if you've watched or read The Hunger Games, Mm -hmm. that there's these things that come from the sky are little gifts and prizes that sponsors can buy to send to the warriors in the field, perhaps something they need or something that they would die if they didn't have, and therefore can make things a little more interesting. It's a health pack, if you want to call it that, from a video game parlance, but I feel like that's what Cap provides. Mm -hmm. I think what's called out in that quote near the end is that here's two guys that previously had no reason to ever know each other, to have anything in common with each other, to have ever connected. And here they are speaking in this unspoken language to each other that no man or woman outside of that war would ever be able to communicate in again. And we've talked about this in previous seasons that prior generations of men that was probably the only time they were actually able to break down emotional barriers and have true platonic relationships with their fellow man was spending time in a foxhole with them. Thank goodness now in 2022, we have the luxury of being able to express ourselves more genuinely. And so I I feel like male dynamics has changed, but up until very recently, this relationship that we see with Kat was something only derived from wartime. I do think that it's something special that we have in 2022, and it's obviously still developing because it continues to be a problem of so many men and boys of not being able to communicate with each other, that those connections that are made in this book, it isn't about deeply expressing those emotions Mm -hmm. through words or providing deeper inner context. In this case, it's expressed with silence. And I think that that's really interesting insofar as that must have been huge. Just to be able to sit in unison, I think it says, with another man and know that that's what he's thinking. And although words are not necessary there for that bond, that expressing them with words would be light years beyond what was capable of those people for that very reason of this masculine exterior that was more prevalent then, is still very prevalent now, unfortunately, but there it is. And it is still a huge positive in this novel that these men can connect in this way 
And that, in many ways, that silence is a more genuine connection than what we see at the very beginning of the book when we see the soldiers using the latrines. Yeah. It's all about jokes. It's about fart humor. It's Mm -hmm. about all of that. It's not actually addressing the elephant in the room of the war that's going on. The silence, which is expressed here, is actually about the war, is about the pain. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen that mirrored in our own lives, right? Like your your nascent friendships in, you know, junior high and stuff with other boys comes from razzing each other and mm-hmm. fart jokes and burping in class and stuff like that. And so I think that's still very much baked into our DNA a little bit. And to your point and to the novel's point, there's something very sacred in a true shared silence that's a comfort that you can reach with very few people. Eric Bennett, who does our audio engineering, will know most of this podcast is just shared silence. We go 10, 20 minutes sometimes with just dead air. That's his favorite part to edit, he's told me. So, <laughs> so but I do think that there is so much truth in that, that if you don't feel like you need to fill a void, you don't feel like you need to entertain or, you know, remark on something, if you can just be with somebody, be it a, a lover, a friend, even an acquaintance, there's a rarity there that I think few people manage to ever get to. And it's unfortunate that for a lot of men, it took the war and near-death experiences every day to kind of break through those barriers for them. I want to draw a parallel here because I think we've read a lot of interesting books this year between this occupied French battlefield where this book takes place and Castle Rock, Maine, hmm. where we hmm. saw the body. Yeah. And these are both in their own way war novels. True. And if we want to see that personification of what we were talking about a few moments ago of those growing pre-teenage teenage connections versus what men have become in this novel who I believe are 19. Yeah. That we do see that evolution of razzing each other of non-intellectual, non-emotional connection of people who we know are deeply emotionally broken Mm -hmm. and are in very traumatic situations in their lives. And to look at that and then to see how this war has torn men down so much that the best they have is that silence. But the silence is meaningful. It's a really good analogy. Obviously, in Stephen King's The Body, you have young boys who are kind of growing up in post-World War II. Mm -hmm. You have these boys playing at war because that's the only really dynamic that they've seen from the previous generation in terms of how they were able to bond and how their friendships were formed. So even in a time of peace, uh, you know, the 1950s, early 60s, with the body, you've got these boys who know nothing other than war, at least when it comes to male intimacy. And it, it really does make you think, you know, how much war has affected men for centuries and millennia. As a podcast here where we talk about books that are predominantly about the modern era, like we don't really get too much of a glimpse as to what that was mm-hmm. previously. And so while I would like to imagine the world is just a bunch of gladiator movies with hot shirtless guys, that, that's not the reality of what was going on. And in fact, I think that's a good segue into the thing that I was hoping we could talk about today. Hot which, shirtless guys? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> Um, But since that's not the core of what we talk about here on the podcast, (laughs) that instead is a far second, I guess you could say, is this montage, if you want to call it that, of events that happen when our main character, Paul, goes home on leave. Mm -hmm. And this, to me, is perhaps the most interesting part of the book. Because I think as we learned from The Bridges of Toko Ri, that it was what happened outside of the war 
that revealed the true character of what was going on. And I always think about the scene where the character deserts his wife who has traveled all this distance so that he can go bail out a friend who got into a fight in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. A very cool bar, by the way. But in this case, what we see is the loneliness. The the fact that Paul went back expecting a loving family and a culture to embrace the, the trauma that he is undergoing and instead has walked right into this false narrative that so many people around him believe. And he realizes no one in his home is capable of connecting with him anymore. And he ends up walking away at the end of this as a far more solitary, lonely... Yeah and feeling like an outsider for serving his country. And we we can talk, I don't want to get into this podcast about the virtues or lack thereof of the war that he was fighting in. But regardless of that, that the image that people in the town had about what he was doing and the reality of what was happening just made him feel so alone. And you also see when he's back in his hometown, this male archetype that we see every day in 2022. And I guess I had never really put much thought in the fact that they've always kind of been around. The guys who talk a big game, talk about patriotism and wartime and the merits of heroism, but have never actually served themselves. And who are giving him all this advice about how, mm-hmm. he, how he should be living his life and buying him beer after beer while you know they're sitting home getting fat off of war profits or you know nursing a, an old injury to keep from getting drafted and you see that today i mean you see a lot of these people who are talking about overthrowing our government and by and large these are people who never served but they take on military jargon and you know their guts are spilling out of their store bought tactical vests mm-hmm. There, there are so many men who I think crave that kind of battle-hardened male-to-male intimacy that war brings about that they almost lose touch with reality if they're not given that opportunity. It's fascinating to see his village populated by those men because I think our Twitterverse is populated by many of those men today. Looking at this from the lens of Paul, he heard a lot of this rhetoric, if you want to call it that, before he served. And in fact, when we talk about the cries of patriotism, that's what inspired him and his friends to enlist in the first place. And how far he has come Mm -hmm. from this rallying cry of serving the country to listening to that months or years later and just being like, you're nuts. And I will not be your idol, if you will, or icon here in order to push your unrealistic and uninformed opinions upon. It is really interesting because I think, you know, Hollywood and before All Quiet on the Western Front and in some degrees after All Quiet on the Western Front, a lot of literature does tend to idolize the the concept of the war hero. Mm Mm-hmm. Yet you have a chance to meet anybody who served their country, especially in our most recent combat theaters. And from my experience, they're mostly very humble. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to be defined by what they saw or did over there. And so there's that really interesting divide between the heroic archetype of a soldier that we've kind of put to paper in our society Mm -hmm. and the the actual soldier who bears no resemblance to that person at all, who is a hurting human being, who has witnessed things that thankfully you or I have never had to see with our own eyes and hopefully never will, made so many sacrifices for us. And at the end of the day, I think yearn for normalcy even more because of it. And I don't think that's what Paul was expecting to feel. Right. This disassociation 
or the humbleness, as you say, that he didn't expect to be the humble one in the room. Mm -hmm. And he quickly became that person. It wasn't like he came back with this plan that says, I'm not going to talk up or I'm not going to talk at all about what happened here or I'm going to be very to myself about things. I, I didn't get that, that sense that that's what he was going to do. But he realized very quickly that no one there was going to give him emotional support. Mm-hmm. And because people were trying to thrust their ideas and thoughts and opinions onto him, he withdrew. And the, the novel's structured in such an interesting way because I think you're very right about Paul becoming so much more inward and solitary because of this experience that when he eventually leaves home and goes to get some kind of arbitrary retraining at a camp, right, right, right. yeah, he's not with his core group of seven guys at that time, but he's not making substantive friendships with anybody there, nor is he mm-hmm. trying to. There's whole paragraphs of him doing drills on his belly in the high grass, just like fixating on the beauty of the light dappled in the trees or occasionally finding some humanity in the Russian prisoners that kind of abut their camp through the fence. And you really do see this person who's completely closed in on himself and is almost only willing to to have faith in himself to be self-sufficient. He's not looking for anybody to save him. He's not looking for any miracles to happen. He's just living day by day and trying whatever he can do to find little bits of beauty in those days. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that scene that you're talking about with the Russian camp really was a beautiful part of this novel. Mm. And I use the word beautiful very loosely because it's also very ugly. We see yeah. we see so many people dying of dysentery and I forget what they said, like it's not even worth putting your pants back on. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a gruesome image. But I think that scene, coupled with what we were talking about, about the inward-facing nature of war, I want to take away from it something, as someone who has not served, as to how to connect with people who have served, and to realize that that inner conversation is very likely going on, mm-hmm. and to look for the things that brought Paul some hope, and that he did want to connect with. Because he saw that there was humanity there. I think we fixate like those men in the bar on the big battle scenes and the big fights and all the fancy equipment and gear. And we overlook the things that maybe people would want to share or that give them hope and to continue forward. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really uh, interesting self-reflection that men like us who haven't served in, in a war, who haven't dealt with that level of psychological trauma, what is our role in society in uh, supporting those who have? Because certainly, again, we're not talking about the merits of any specific war or, you know, advocating for violence or we're not hawks, we're not doves. But you have to respect the people who would be willing to make such a sacrifice, mm-hmm. both physically, mentally, psychologically, for what they deem to be a greater good on an individual level. And I think our society has gotten a lot better. Clearly, we've done a better job than Germany was doing for its troops in World War I. Mm-hmm. But you know, even since the Vietnam War, when you know our fathers were going over there and serving and coming back to get spit in the face and called baby killers and stuff like that, you know, we're acknowledging, I think, a little bit more of that humanity in the individual soldier in this day and age. And that's good to see, but I do think it's incumbent on us to yeah, read things like this and have these discussions and kind of learn and grow and mostly listen. Because as you said, mm-hmm. we, we have no idea what this was like. And so I think just to be a listening ear maybe could be enough in some cases. I think that this set of chapters is, as you pointed out, it's very relevant 
in the time we live now. Like there was something that felt so real about yeah. this that it just it didn't feel like it was at all World War One. Like mm-hmm. y- you just change a few surface details here, and you can see this scene playing out, and about the agony that it causes Paul. He's a man without a home. Like the war field isn't giving him comfort. He does return there because he's ordered to, but his home is no longer his home. I think we start to see that really play out through the latter half of this novel, that all of that connection to society and societal norms just really breaks down. And it doesn't break down into some sort of like awful rage. Some terrible things happen. We'll talk about them next episode. But one could argue what happens to him is also about the fact that he's a soldier in a war, not about him personally. But it is this very unsettling feeling. I think that's maybe the best way I I can put it, of him having lost his bearings and now not necessarily knowing what to do with his life. And he just kind of falls into this archetype that has been laid out for him. And what a great job uh, author Eric Maria Remarque does in kind of helping us, who did not serve during World War I, who have had no experiences even remotely similar to what Paul is experiencing, how great an accomplishment that you can finish this book and at least feel like you can sympathize to some degree. I mean, reading this from cover to cover is, is a it's a horror novel in many. It is it absolutely is in many ways. It is unlike certainly any war novel published before it. Um, the only thing I can think of that tried to show some realism was maybe like Stephen Crane's Red Badge of Courage is often yeah, some kind degree, of yeah kind of described as like trying to show war from a realistic perspective but this just takes it to a whole new level where i can only imagine people reading it for the first time were like he surely he's exaggerating there's no way these troops are fighting lice and man-eating rats and dysentery and that's not to say nothing of the bullets and the gas and the bombings but we know now from you know the historical research that we do for this podcast and and just you know being history buffs ourselves this is all very real this was a waking nightmare that these men experienced every single day and it's a wonder that humanity actually came out of this at all honestly Mm -hmm. on that upbeat note i think it's time to wrap up this episode i think that this book does cause us to have a fair amount of self-reflection and it touches on a lot of dark topics so i would understand if folks were like wow this got pretty dark but this book is not intended to make you feel good no this is a anti-war novel that shows the war as it was it doesn't have much sympathy at all for those who caused that war to occur so with that as always would like to thank the stardust lounge for hosting us here i think crystal has been behind the bar the entire time we have not seen her but as always we do want to thank them for letting us set up our microphones here in the corner and we encourage everyone to please leave us a review online Tell folks about the podcast. We really appreciate it. We want to grow our listener base here, and you're absolutely essential to helping make that happen. So thank you very much. Any final thoughts here, Zach? Only that I suspect Crystal has not swung by because we've been talking about bloody stumps and dysentery for the last 30 minutes. That's probably a good insight. I'm going to think about that. So you're saying we should move our conversation to the bar. (laughs) Force it upon her. Exactly. Okay. Sounds like a plan. So until next time, this has been Literary Guys, signing off.